turn to Revelation chapter 2 as we revisit the seven churches of Revelation. And because uh, Alice and I had the blessing of being able to visit the sites of the seven churches uh, in January, uh, I'm trying to bring in revisiting that. Plus, it's been, what, five years since we preached, preached on these. Uh, trying to bring in some things that we learned in visiting those sites and, in, and studying these passages again uh, and some new uh, new information that uh, we have. So let's look at chapter 2 of the book of Revelation. This will be the second uh, sermon on Pergamos. Or Pergamon. Chapter 2, Revelation, the word of the Lord. Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne, and hast patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent." But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. I know thy works and tribulation and poverty. But thou art rich, and I know the blasphemy of them which say they are Jews and are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things saith he which hath the sharp sword with two edges. I know thy works, and where thou dwellest, even where Satan's seat is. And thou holdest fast my name, and hast not denied my faith, even in those days wherein Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was slain among you, where Satan dwelleth. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna, and will give him a white stone, And in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth. And unto the angel of the church in Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last be more than the first. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, 
because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that committed adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searches the reins and hearts, and I will give unto every one of you according to your works. But unto you I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, and which have not known the depths of Satan, as they speak, I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already. Hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, as the vessels of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Today we take another look. We uh, revisited Ephesus and we visited uh, Smyrna. Uh, We're looking now the angel, uh, uh, rather to the church of uh, Pergamos or Pergamon. Or Pergamon. It's written three different ways in various places. Last week, we, I'll just review very quickly, the Lord uh, is delivering this message. Pergamos was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. If you look at your outline, uh, you can see a map there, and you can see where Pergamos is. Uh, It uh, was the capital of the Roman province of Asia Minor. And it was also in the province of Asia. It's a little confusing. There was a province of Asia which was also in the, in the Asia Minor. Um, that was the capital. There were all the seven churches were in that area. Today it's in Turkey, modern-day Turkey. Uh, Pergamos uh, is on top of a mountain, and you get there by cable car. Uh, and uh, it's about 1,000 feet high. And uh, the, uh, it was a very idolatrous city. One author said Pergamos was the most idolatrous city in Asia Minor and most persecuted the Christians. Uh, It was a very literate and cultured city. Remember, uh, some called it the Athens of Asia Minor. Uh, It was also, if you'll recall, a city of center of medicine. We saw the ruins from afar of the uh, uh, sanctuary of of, uh, Esculapus. Esculapus. You remember the Esculapus was the god of medicine and of uh, healing, uh, and his uh, temple was the forerunner of modern-day hospitals. It was the first time that people went someplace to have their sicknesses treated. A uh, little different than what we do today because they went and uh, they would uh, bathe in the water of the sacred spring. Uh, they would go to adjoining buildings where they slept. I think there was a, uh, some sort of fumes that they would, uh, or some kind of drugs that they would ingest or or breathe into. Then they had dreams. Uh, the patients and the priests would have dreams, and the priests would then know, uh, supposedly, how to cure them. And that was the way they practiced medicine. Not, not totally different than what, what modern medicine is today. Uh, but Escalapus's, uh staff or rod, as we saw last week, uh, a symbol of authority, is called the caduceus, which you see in 
medical offices, the uh, snake around the the uh, staff with, the, and the, actually the wings are, are Hermes or Mercury. That's a symbol of Mercury that's been was added on. Uh, but it's uh, uh, for those of you who um, uh, weren't here last week or uh, were mentally elsewhere last week. If you were here physically, I will remind you that the uh, uh, caduceus is also an occult symbol. Uh, it uh, there's. Uh, uh, something called the Caduceus Power Wand, sold at New Age stores. Uh, and uh, the claim is that it gives the owner demonic powers. Uh, the Freemasons, or Masons, use the Power Wand. Uh, in, uh, in their, um, they may use it in the third degree ceremony, as I said last week, but again, for those of you who, who weren't here for that, uh, it's uh, there's there's different degrees in in the Masonic orders. You start with the first, and you go up to thirty thirty three. Uh, most Masons you talk to are you know they're basically they think it's like the Rotary Club, and it's because uh, they are lower degree Masons, and they haven't been initiated into some of the really bizarre uh, aspects of it. Um, the master of ceremonies or the senior deacon in uh, the third third degree will, uh, this is a quote from, uh, again, from Mac, uh, Mackey's Encyclopedia Freemasonry, cited at MasonicDictionary.com. He, quote, leads the aspirant, the person to be inducted into third degree, through the forms of initiation into his new birth or Masonic regeneration. They call it the new birth, parodying a Christian new birth. And continuing the quote, and teaching him in the solemn ceremonies of the third degree the lesson of eternal life, lessons of eternal life. He may well use the magic wand, the rod of uh, uh, the, uh, the rod of Escalapus, as a representation uh, of eternal life, uh, and the uh, which was the attribute of that ancient deity Escalapus who brought the dead to life because these people were dying and they'd go and he would you know revive them because he was the god of medicine so they used that uh, in freemasonry so uh, that's you, know, you want to be careful of don't join don't join the masons or get involved in that kind of stuff uh, Pergamos also was the capital for the imperial cult, the worship of the emperor. Uh, and they, you, you saw where we read about Satan. I know where Satan, I, you, you have Satan's seat, Satan's throne, same word. Uh, when we went there, we saw that. And we stood on top of the thousand-foot mountain. It looked down, beautiful in the valley and all. And right down here on a ledge cropping out was where the altar of, of Zeus was. And it was a massive altar. It was uh, 90 feet square, 20 feet high. And uh, the ruins, just, just some ruins are there now. Uh, if you recall, they, the uh, archaeologist, the German archaeologist who discovered it, had it all shipped back to Germany and reconstructed. It's, uh, it's now in Berlin. Uh, but uh, all day and all night it burned with endless animal and human sacrifices. And uh, it could be seen for miles around because it's, it's quite prominent. And uh, it looked like uh, during the day a, a pillar of clouds and at night a column of fire, again mimicking uh, the Old Testament, the Lord in the Old Testament. So it looked like a great seat towering above uh, the valley. And 
So that's Satan's seat. Uh, they also worshipped Apollo, Athene, or um, uh, Diana in, in Rome, Aphrodite, Bacchus, Dionysius. So Pergamos was a, a, certainly a center of Satanism going on. And her biggest fault is her toleration of false teachers and heresies. Uh, and the Lord described himself as having the sharp two-edged sword. And I said last week, the word of God is a two-edged sword, a weapon both offensive and defensive. A lot of swords just have the one edge. This has the two edges. So whether you go to the right or left, it'll get you. Uh, so it, uh, it condemns the enemies of Christ to fire, but it conquers sinners for Christ as well. So it's a two-edged sword. Uh, and, of course, the... Uh, we know about the, the word being a sword, the word of God being a sword. Um, so that's, that's a quick review of what we talked about last week. We stopped at verse 13, so let's go on to verse 14 in chapter 2. Again, to the letter of Pergamos. But I have a few things against thee, because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak or Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols and to commit fornication. Uh, So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. We'll stop there. First thing you notice is how tenderly the Lord chastises them. First he praises them Earlier, he praised them. Uh, he said, uh, um, you, you, you hold fast my name in verse uh, 13. Uh, you have not denied my faith. Again, notice it's my faith. It doesn't say you haven't denied the faith. Uh, certainly could have said that, but he said my faith. And, of course, it was the faith of Christ that saves us. Uh, not primarily our faith, but his faith in going to the cross. Uh, so how, thou hast not denied my faith even in those days where an Antipas was my faithful martyr and we said that it's speculated we don't know anything about Antipas other than this reference here but he uh, is not mentioned anywhere else but he probably was uh, some people think that he was the bishop of, of the church there but in any event he was a martyr who was slain among you where Satan dwells But I have a few things against you. That's all he said. I have a few things against you. So he's very gentle. You know, a few things I'm not pleased with. Uh, Now, what is he not happy about? You have people in the church at Pergamos that hold the doctrine of Balaam. And in verse 15, and you also have people in the church that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. So I want to focus on that word doctrine. We'll get to what the doctrine was in a minute. The Lord cares very much if we hold the wrong doctrines. Some people say, oh, the Lord doesn't care about doctrine. We don't want to talk about doctrine. That divides people, and we just want to love, and, and uh, you know, let's not, let's not concern ourselves with doctrine. Well, that's against the Bible. The Lord is concerned with doctrine. He's concerned with love also, but proper doctrine produces love, true love, true Christian love. The Lord is not politically correct. He doesn't believe in religious toleration. He doesn't celebrate religious diversity. Uh, So it's our duty to study his word so that we can recognize what is true doctrine and what is false doctrine and avoid it. 
with his uh, spiritual, uh, um, with his spirit showing us. Uh, one one prayer to I think it's very important to, to conti- continually make uh, is to pray uh, for discernment, spiritual discernment. It's so easy these days to fall into some wacky, you know, doctrine. Somebody writes a book and says, well, I have this new understanding of Scripture, and people fall for it. And uh, even very intelligent people with all sorts of letters after their name uh, falls for uh, wrong doctrine, uh, anti-biblical doctrine. So a way to keep from doing that is to make it a constant prayer uh, for discernment. When I was a very young Christian, you know, barely in the kingdom at all, I, that was a, I was very concerned of mine because I didn't go to a church. I didn't know any other Christians. So I would ask the Lord whenever I read the Bible, read, particularly read a, a book that, you know, a lot of times I didn't know who the author was. It was just somebody gave me a book or I, I went to the bookstore and grabbed the book that looked kind of interesting. But always pray for discernment. Lord, give me discernment. Make, make me understand the truth and reject the falsity of it. And I still do. Uh, We have to be Bereans, is what I'm saying. Check everything we read against the scripture and pray for discernment. Uh, okay, the Ephesian church we saw tolerated one evil, the Nicolaitans, um, in, in Revelation 2.6, in the, in the uh, Ephesian church letter. Now, who are the Nicolaitans? We remember the Nicolaitans were people who called themselves Christians, but they were the Jesus people, if you remember those folks of the, of the time, the hippies of the time, the, the, the quote, Christian hippies. Uh, marriage and faithfulness to, to a wife or a husband didn't mean much to them. They basically did whatever they wanted to do and they ignored God, uh, but they called themselves believers. Well, Pergamos has that, the Nicolaitan belief, but it also has the heresy of Balaam. So they added idolatry to their hippie Nicolaitan uh, practices. Uh, see, Balaam, uh, Balaamism is idolatry. Uh, so here we have the very early church. Idolatry is creeping into the church. And, of course, that would eventually hijack the, the true church, the apostolic church. Um, let's turn to the uh, book of Numbers, please. Right before Deuteronomy, we find the book of Numbers. Because this is referenced here in the letter to Pergamos. Numbers chapter 22. Beginning with verse 21. This is about Balaam. It's one of... uh, a lot of kids like this this story. It's, it's, it's an interesting story. Other than, uh, I think other than the serpent, is, did we have any other animals that talked in the Bible? Well, other than, other, I mean other than this and, and, the, uh, and the serpent, I don't think I don't, none come to mind. The donkey. This, this is the donkey. Oh. <laughs> there you go. Good, though. Very good. Very good. <laughs> Uh, Verse 21, And Balaam rose up in the morning and saddled his ass, his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. And God's anger was kindled because he went, and the angel of the Lord stood in the way for an adversary against him. 
Now he was riding upon his ass, and his two servants were with him. And the ass saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword drawn in his hand. And the ass turned aside out of the way and went into the field. And Balaam smote the ass to turn her into the way. You know, he's whipping his donkey. He's what are you doing? Stay on the road. But the angel of the Lord stood in a path of the vineyards, a wall being on this side and a wall on that side. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she thrust herself onto the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. And he smote her again. He kept whipping her. and what's wrong with you, donkey? What is the matter with you? He couldn't see the angel. Only the donkey could see the angel. And the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or the left. And when the ass saw the angel of the Lord, she fell down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he smote the ass with a staff. He took, didn't have, decided the whip wasn't working, so he took his rod, and he starts hitting, you know, the donkey with the rod. What is wrong with you? Imagine how he's cursing the donkey, and what is crazy donkey? Why are you acting like this? And the Lord opened the mouth of the ass, and she, the donkey, the ass, said unto Balaam, What have I done unto thee that thou hast smitten me these three times? Can you imagine what Balaam thought? All of a sudden his donkey's talking to him. He said, what are you doing to me? Why are you hitting me? And Balaam said unto the ass, I'm sure after he got over his fright and astonishment, he said, because thou hast mocked me. In other words, I was giving you orders to go and you didn't do what, what I told you to do. That's why I hit you. He says, I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would, I, would I kill you. And the ass said to Balaam, Am I not thine ass? Am I not your donkey, upon which you have ridden ever since I was yours, thine, unto this day? Did I ever, was I ever want to do so unto thee? Did I ever, did I ever do any of this to you before? And Balaam said, No, nay. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way, and his sword, the angel's sword, drawn in his hand. And he bowed down his head and fell flat on his face. Now this had to be a theophany. This had to be the Lord Jesus. First of all, he has the sword, but how do we know? Because Balaam fell down and worshipped him and every other time in the Bible where there, it's an angel of the Lord and not uh, Jesus the angel will say get up don't worship me worship God only but here he doesn't do that he permits him to worship him and the angel of the Lord said unto him wherefore hast thou smitten thine ass these three times why did you do that behold I went out to withstand thee because thy way is perverse before me in other words I came and stood in the road because what you're doing is wrong And the ass saw me and turned from me these three times. Unless she had turned from me, surely now also I had slain thee and saved her alive. If their donkey hadn't gotten out of the, hadn't refused to go and went away and came up to me, Balaam, I would have killed you and left your donkey alive. You wanted to kill a donkey and keep yourself alive. I would have, Balaam, I would have killed you. Your donkey saved your life. And Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew not that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeased thee, I will get me back again. 
In other words, if, if, if you don't like it, I'll do whatever you say. And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. And when Balak heard that Balaam was come, he went out to meet him unto a city of Moab, which is in the border of Arnon, which is in the utmost coast. And Balak said unto Balaam, Did I not earnestly send unto thee to call thee? Wherefore camest thou not unto me? Am I not able to indeed to promote thee to honor? And Balaam said unto Balak, Lo, I am come unto thee. Have I now any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that shall I speak. Balaam was... A lot of lessons here, but one is that Balaam at the end says, I'm only going to speak what the Lord of God tells me to speak. I'm not going to speak my own words. Now this goes back to what we're talking about, doctrine. False doctrine comes out of man's words. Truth comes out of God's word. So our, will we only speak God's word and not our own ideas? You know, our own, and one of the greatest sins you can commit as a preacher is to come up with your own ideas about Scripture especially calling it new. Balaam was Balaam was not the jackass. I mean, excuse me, the, the jack, Balaam was the jackass here in this story. Balaam was the jackass in the story, not the donkey. Uh, he betrayed Israel for fame and fortune. Um, it's mentioned in 2 Peter 2, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 15, They have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. But he was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained his madness, the madness of the prophet. So th- this, this whole idea comes again. False doctrine. Balaam was speaking false doctrine. Our dog does this, by the way. Do your, do your animals do this sometimes? We'll just stare. He, he was doing it just yesterday. And he does it a lot. He'll just stare at something. And there's nothing there. And But he's not afraid. And sometimes it looks like he's listening. I, I just makes me wonder. I, I don't know what to conclude about that. But uh, uh, it's interesting. I do think of that story with with Balaam when I see him doing that. Uh, Christ, uh, well, let's let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, please. So, we've mixed, Christ is saying you've mixed Nicolaitan uh, perversity with idolatry, the uh, the sin of, of Balaam, uh, that he is uh, uh, following the way of Balaam, uh, wrong doctrine, uh, idolatry. Um, Christ is referencing in verse 14 and in 2, and we're going to go to First Corinthians in a minute. Christ is referencing, he says... Uh, to eat things, casting a stumbling back for the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. Uh, uh, the sins of Balaam. In 1 Corinthians chapter 8, this is a reference to that. Uh, in verse 10, For if any man see thee which has knowledge, 
uh, a Christian, uh, an educated Christian, sit at meat in the idol's temple, eating uh, meat that has been sacrificed to an idol, shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are sacrificed to idols? In other words, don't. There's nothing in a, in meat that's been sacrificed to an idol that makes it wrong for you to eat, but don't do it in front of a weak brother because he'll be uh, emboldened to do something he, think is, he thinks is sinful. Even though he's wrong, it's, it's not sinful. If he thinks it's sinful, he's, he's a weak brother, don't encourage him to do something that he thinks is sinful. Rather, bring him up and educate him that it's not sinful. But don't start out by saying, oh, it's okay. You know, it's okay to do that uh, and, and do it in front of him. Uh, and through thy knowledge shall a weak brother perish for whom Christ died. Because we know from Scripture, if, it's, if you believe it's sin, then it's sin to you. Even though you may be wrong, uh, you're, uh, that's why you're called the weaker brother. The idea is to make the brother stronger. Um, that may the eating meat sacrificed to idols, uh, the Lord says in, in verse 14 in Revelation 2, that seems like a small thing. Well, Satan is clever. If he can't get them through their spirit to actually bow down to idols... Uh, he can get them to their stomachs to eat meat that had been dedicated to idols. See, the difference is not as great as you might think. By eating meat sacrificed to idols, they were actually, at that time in history, disobeying the ruling of the Jerusalem Council, which had come before this letter to Revelation. The Jerusalem Council, well, let's look at Jerusalem Council. That's Acts 15. This was the first... Time, the first presbytery meeting, if you will, of the Christian church. The first time churches got together to decide on an issue that would then affect the entire church. And the question was about, one of the questions was about uh, eating meat sacrificed to idols. So in Acts chapter 15, uh, beginning in verse... Uh, 28, for it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that ye abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourselves, ye shall do well. Fare thee well. So, one of the rulings of the church at Jerusalem, or the Jerusalem Church Council, is don't eat meat offered to idols. Okay. This doesn't apply to us anymore. It's not, a, it's not an issue. Hard to go to the HEB and find meat offered to idols for sale. So it's not an issue anymore. Uh, and it's, Paul says it doesn't matter. Later, later it says it doesn't matter what you eat, but don't. But if, if, if you think it's a sin, don't do it. Plus, they're still under, under the Jerusalem Council, which is an interesting question. But... Uh, they disobeyed the ruling of the Jerusalem Council. That was, that was a corruption in their doctrine. And then corrupt doctrine produces corrupt worship. Uh, just, as, just as a lot of churches uh, fall before an idol, but they make excuses. They'll say, well, we're not worshiping the idol. We're worshiping God through the idol. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's what every pagan believes. You know, that there, there, no matter what, what kind of paganism you're talking about, to say, well, do you actually believe that's dead? You know, ask the Ephesians, do you actually believe that all these 
Hundreds of statues are Diana, the god. Well, no, we don't believe that's the god. It's a, it's a representation, and we can see the representation of the god, and that moves our heart to worship the god through the idol. It's just an aid to worship. Okay. Well, that's a corrupt doctrine, and what, is, what does it do? What's the practical outworking of that doctrine? It makes you fall on your knees in front of a plaster statue. Well, think about that. We always should look at the fruit that a doctrine produces. Look at the fruit. I mean, it's one thing to intellectually say, well, that's an interesting argument, and maybe they're right. What are they doing? What's the result, the practical result of that? You're falling on your knees in front of a plaster statue. Plus, there's no commandment in the Bible to worship God through images. Can you think of a commandment in the Bible that says make an image and worship it as God? No. We have hundreds of examples where people did that and were condemned for it. You know, the golden calf. Aaron taking the gold and making a golden calf. That wasn't supposed to be some pagan god. He said this is is supposed to be the Lord. It represents the Lord. So he thought he was worshiping the Lord God through this golden calf. No, but there's an express commandment. What? Not to do that. It's called the second commandment. Don't make anything and bow down to it and worship it. So some in this church in Pergamon were reviving old heresies, idolatry, Balaam, and very likely calling them a new fresh doctrine, new fresh understanding of scripture. Uh, They taught that it was lawful to eat things sacrificed to idols. They said, well, simple fornication was no sin. Uh, And they, by a false doctrine, that led to false worship that drew people into impure practices as Balaam did the Israelites that's what that means filthiness of the mind leads to filthiness of the flesh as Richard Weaver said ideas have consequences don't think that your ideas are just in the realm of thought they have consequences in your life you will act according to the way you think Look at James chapter 1, please. If you don't believe in God, you're going to act the way people who don't believe in God act. They basically do whatever they want to do because they don't think there are any consequences. James chapter 1, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Okay, his, his lust can be not only sexual, it can be anything. You know, a lust toward money, a lust toward power, a lust toward uh, anything that's not, that is not godly, that is not of God. If you put anything before God, you know, you are lusting after something of this world. Fame, you know, wanting to be liked, whatever, whatever it is. Uh, being a man pleaser, all, all these things. So, if you think about drawn away of his own lust, you think about your thoughts. If you're drawn away by false thoughts, false doctrines, false ideas that aren't biblical, then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. It brings forth the actual act. 
whether it's falling down on your knees before an idol or you know fornication or uh, lying or you know stealing whatever it is so you have the wrong thoughts it brings forth sin and sin when it's finished brings forth death the wages of sin is death so you can die in your sins you can, you can spiritually die and eventually of course physically die but it's, it's, it's talking about brings forth death meaning it brings forth spiritual death going to hell and all because of how you thought all because of your ideas if your ideas aren't soaked in scripture you're going to go wrong and you go wrong you start sinning and uh, if, if, you, if, you, if you die in your sins and go to hell that proves you were a member of God in the first place so we have to pray that the Lord will keep us in scripture and keep our minds focused uh, on I mean, but it's, it's usually the pattern of heretics that filthiness of the mind wrong doctrine I call it filthiness leads to filthiness of the flesh that's the usual pattern of heretics if we flip over to James chapter 3 but if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts glory not lie not against the truth this wisdom descends not from above but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. For where envying and strife is... See, heresy leads to strife, and it leads to divisions. Think about it in the church. People coming up with new ideas and this kind of thing, and it leads to strife and divisions in the church. For where envying, verse 16, and strife is, there is confusion in every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful passage. The fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Who sows the fruit of righteousness? The Lord sows the fruit of righteousness in our hearts. And it produces peace in our hearts and it produces peace in our church and in our life and in our families. Well, enough on on false doctrine. I have more to say on that, but I think this this is a good place to end it. End it with that phrase, that passage. And remember that if we don't if we don't keep our minds on Christ, that what will happen more and more in our life is that we're going to see ourselves falling into, into sin. There's a, a I, I don't know or don't remember I don't means I don't know who said this, but it's, it's always stayed with me because it, it is quite profound. It takes some thought. I've quoted it before, but it's been a long time and that fits right in here. I looked at Christ and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove and it flew away. I'm not going to explain that. I want you to think about that this week. I looked at Christ and the dove of peace flew into my heart. I looked at the dove and it flew away. Your assignment for the week is to think about that and tell me.
what it means. Let me just finish again with that passage. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. Something else to pray about for understanding of that passage as well. Let's thank the Lord. Father, we do thank Thee for the truth that Thou hast given us today from Thy Word. Thy Word that sows peace in our heart, sows peace once sown in our heart is shown through our actions, that uh, we sow peace within our families, Father, that we sow peace among our loved ones, among our friends, we sow peace in the church, Father. Oh, Lord, that we'd be sower of peace and not of strife. Tame our hearts, Lord, that we may be true reflections of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Lord, we pray for many in our church today.